Welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alexander, president of Agco Automotive. We've got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here by my side. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Why don't you go and give us a call? Our phone number is 291-6901. We sure wish you'd give us a call. And you get a 225 in front of that. You can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States this morning. Yeah, and if you happen to miss the opportunity today, you can always go to our website, get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Easy way to remember that, South Zan's Garage Company. The acronym's there. Hit the contact bar and fill out the little form and send it in. The only way it could be any easier if you did it yourself. There we go. So anyway, that way you handle that. And I was answering some email this morning, and over and over and over again, the most common email that we get is concerning check engine lights. Uh-huh. And I understand there's a certain amount of confusion with check engine lights, but they've been around almost 40 years now. So, or actually, I get a little over 40 years. Yeah. Back, back in the mid-70s first came out it was pretty rudimentary at that time i think they took a kind of a quantum leap forward somewhere around 96 right well before 96 it was actually late 80s early 90s when the check engine light really started to get right well in 96 when they went to obd2 and that's when they kind of standardized things went to the readiness tests and sort of a standard format sae type format and of course somewhere around i think it was oh five oh six they went to the can system Correct. which the average person doesn't know the difference because use the same connector it's just a different protocol gives you a lot more information if you've got the tooling to retrieve it. That's the key answer. If you've got the correct tooling to retrieve the information. That's exactly right. And even today what happens is that so many people see a check engine like kind of like their enemy. And there's yeah. oh my God, hey what boy can you disarm this thing? Can you do something? Well no you can't disarm it. That is one hundred percent built in, integrated into the computer system. It's part of the car. You can't get rid of it. And really and truly there's no reason to because it's an early warning system. Sure. it's actually telling you, hey, we're fixing to have a big problem here. That's right. We it's need your to stop and get them fixed. Mm-hmm. Then get this fixed right well, now. Much like a fire alarm or anything else, it's check engine light is your buddy. It's trying to tell you, it's trying to warn you, hey, we got exactly. a problem here. Now, what happens is that the check engine light comes on, and a lot of folks, they get fairly nervous about that, so uh-huh. they call and they make an appointment somewhere. Well, next day, maybe day after, the light goes back off. Well, now they are totally befuddled. They sure. call and they cancel the appointment, everything's good, it's, fi- it's fixed. <laughs> well, no, 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 it's, it's not fixed. What happens, the reason why check engine lights come and go is that they are executing, that system is executing over 2,000 tests per drive cycle. Now, it can't execute every single test on every drive cycle because it just doesn't have time, and it hasn't met all the parameters on some drive cycles. For instance, one particular parameter, say for an EVAP test, it's got to see a cold start. Right, and a cold start is a start after so many hours of the vehicle sitting still. Right. Basically, the intake air temperature has to meet the coolant temperature. They have to match. Uh-huh. That means the ambient and the coolant have to be the same temperature. Now, if you start your car and you drive it maybe three or four miles, it may not have time to get to that test in that short period of time. Correct. Now, you turn it off. When you come back out and start it again, it's going to say, okay, it's not a cold start. So it's going to abort the test. It will not run that test until tomorrow. Right. Until it's a cold start again. If that's the only criteria it needs in the morning. And it never is. (laughs) Exactly. It may go two or three days without meeting the all the criteria to run the test. Well, that's exactly right. For instance, again, going back to our EVAP test, it's got to see somewhere more than a quarter tank of fuel. Right. It has to have less than three quarters of a tank of fuel. So let's say you fill the car up, 
and you get a cold start, it starts up, it's not going to run the test because it's got too much fuel in it. When it gets to three-quarters of a tank, then it's going to execute the test on the next cold start. Correct. So that's why in the time that it's not executing all these tests, it may actually turn the light back out simply because it's not testing, so it's not seeing a fault. The code is still there. It's not gone. That's the confusing part. The light comes on, and then it goes off. Right. And most lights, when the warning lights come on, they stay on. That's right. So it it really confuses people. It does. And what it does, it moves the code to history. Uh Uh-huh. And then it turns the light out, and it starts watching again. The next time it executes a test and fails, the light comes right back on again. So that's why it may seem to be at random to you, but that's because you don't understand all the criteria it's looking Mm -hmm. at. Again, let's go back to our example with the EVAP test. Okay. Okay, we get down to a quarter tank of gas. Okay, it's not going to run that test. Now, we may drive around for a week with a quarter tank of gas if we're not going very far. Right. So for that week, it will not run that test. Now we fill the tank up. Okay? Now it's full, so it's not going to test. Exactly. It may be another week before we use it down to three-quarters of a tank. So it could be two weeks before it even executes this test again. Now, if it doesn't see a cold start, I mean, I've seen cars go a month and not run this particular test uh-huh. just because those criteria haven't been met. Someone starts it up in the morning. They drive it a short distance. They cut it off. Okay, well, that's it. That was the that cold was start. The cold start right? You're not going to see it again. And that is just one of the criteria. There are many, many, many. Another test may have to be 60 miles an hour for so many minutes without seeing brake application. Sure. And that could, and you could drive a car for two weeks around Baton Rouge and well, never reach that's that. that's right. If you're not getting out on the highway with it, you may not, I mean, you could go months sure. and not reach that. Other tests may be that it has to be above a certain ambient temperature. For instance, if it's below 30 degrees, it may abort a certain test. Now, if you live up north, I mean, you could go three months and, and never <laughs> right, run this particular right. test. So because the light is out is the point. It does not mean the problem is fixed. In fact, it is not fixed. It's just not testing that particular thing. Now, just to make it, I guess, a lot more complex, there are codes that are one-trip codes. There are codes that are two-trip codes, and there are codes that are three-trip codes. Mm-hmm. Now, what all this means is, let's take a misfire. Okay. If the engine sees a misfire, what it does, it doesn't automatically turn the light on. It flags that code in pending. Then it keeps watching it. It has to see the misfire again two times in the same drive cycle and at the same RPM. Right. So if, if it's at a different RPM, it's not. It's, it's going to stay, stay in pending. pending. If it continually changes RPM, it may stay in pending. It'll be a pending code, but it's not going to turn it on. When you turn the key off, when you cycle it, then it becomes a new drive cycle. So it's going to abort that test until it sees two more failures. Correct. Some codes if are actually three-trip codes. Right. And we're going to talk about that and a whole lot more in just a minute. Be right back. Travel my way, take the highway, that's the best. I get your kicks on Route 66. It winds from... Hi folks, Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. Our team is celebrating 40 years in business, and we're getting congratulatory calls from all kinds of characters. And I do mean characters. Zoinks! You know, Lewis, me and Scoob will never forget the time that you fixed the alignment on the mystery machine. Forty years is really far out, man. <laughs> Lewis, there's a lot of lily-livered varmints out in the automotive world, but not of you. You're the best north, south, east, and west of the Pecos. 
Hats off to 40 years, partner! Oh! 40 years is almost higher than I can count! My only complaint is that you don't give away free donuts. <sighs> donuts. Well, it seems like high-quality automotive care in this day and age is still appreciated. I just can't believe all these characters really called. Oh, well, they always say I am quite an animated guy. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back to the the Automotive Hour. I'm host, Lewis Alvazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead, give us a call. We've got our lines open. It's 291-6901. That's right, and right now is a great time to call. That's right. You want a personal answer? Got time to give a... Real good answer instead of a little short to the point. Ten fifty eight answer. That's right. That's right. Go give us a call. We're going to try to help you out. We were talking about check engine lights, right? And some of the different trip criteria where you've got two trip codes, you've got three trip codes, and the reason they do that is on certain things as the car starts to age, the check engine light would basically be on forever, sure, because it couldn't meet the same criteria it did when it was brand new. One classic example of that was the Ford Crown Vic and Grand Marquis series of cars mm-hmm. and Lincoln Town Car as well. When the car was new, the catalytic converters were able to meet a certain standard. Well, by the time those cars got about 60 to 75, 80,000 miles, the cats just could no longer meet the same standards. They right. were still okay. They just couldn't meet that new standard. Now, check engine light would pop on and of course those are two converters about fifteen hundred dollars each we're talking three thousand dollar repair those four converters there are two on each side right two doubles about fifteen hundred dollars per side right so obviously this is not a viable thing Uh it's not that the car is not running right it's not there's a major problem it just can't meet the original standard so what ford did is went to the epa who they explained to them what was happening. They gave them a waiver and allowed them to reprogram the computer. Okay. So they issued a flash update, and what that does, it allows us to go in, reflash the computer with new software. Now what happens is that when the test fails the first time, it puts it in a pending file. It starts to watch it. If it fails it a second time, it'll flag it. It has to fail three times in one drive cycle, meaning that it is bad. Right. Definitely, if that converter is bad, it's going to fail three times in a drive cycle. So if the converter is actually bad, the light's coming on. If the light is not bad, excuse me, if the converter is not bad, the light's not going to come on. So it kind of gives you a little respite. And when you're talking about flashing a computer, it depends on how much the shop charges. But I think somewhere $90 to $100 mm-hmm. is a whole lot better than $3,000. Well, sure. <laughs> and it does solve the problem. Right. And that has occurred, I guess, a number of times over the years where things have come out and they fix it with software. They modify the software. Now, that can only be done legally through the manufacturer of the vehicle and through the EPA. Correct. Anything that influences emissions can get you crossways with the law real fast. Oh, yeah. Now, there are folks who do programming and put programmers on their cars and all this stuff. Right. you got to remember, that is a $10,000 fine if you modify that program without EPA permission. How about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, most shops, I know there are shops that do it. And all I can say is God bless them. <laughs> yeah. Because the first time they come down on them, they're going to come down like a house, and it's going to be ten grand for every car they've messed up sure you cannot modify that code without epa's permission i know it's your car but epa regulates the environment and if it influences 
the emissions, they ain't gonna like it, and they gonna let you know they don't like it. <laughs> and believe me, they got all the cards. Yeah, that's it. Stiff they, little penalty there. Well, they got the guns and the badges, and you don't. So exactly. <laughs> Let's go to our phone lines with Greg. Good morning, Greg. Good morning. Yes, Good morning. Sir. I've got a, a little problem here. I say it's a problem, and, and probably won't be able to tell me anything. But let me just lay it on you. You bet. No, an O3 Camry, two hundred thousand plus miles. Okay. The last couple of days in the morning when I was leaving, the house approached a stop sign. And normally I'd have the radio on, so I really don't know how long this may have been happening. But come up to a stop sign and come to a stop, and it's like I would hear water flowing on the driver's side of the dash. Uh, driver or passenger? Like, could it dri- be more toward the middle and it just seems like it's on the driver's side? It could be more toward the middle. It just seemed like it was on the driver's side yeah. and just... Kind of hear it like you come to a stop, you kind yeah. of that yeah. forward well, motion. The reason I'm asking is because most all the plumbing is on the passenger side in that particular car. The only thing I could think of that could be in a driver's side that could do that, there is a big trough under the base of the windshield called a cow, and you got like a little grill. If leaves get into that cow, they can work their way through and they can plug the little drain. And with as much rain as we've had here recently, that thing can actually fill up with water and you can hear it sloshing. That is the only thing I can think of on the driver's side. Now, if it's possibly on the passenger side and just maybe echoing around, the very most common reason for that is low coolant. Because when the coolant gets low, it gets air in it. And the number one place air goes is into the heater core because it's flowing through the rest of the system, so it's kind of getting purged out. It gets in that coil, and it can't get out. And it makes a noise exactly like you're describing, almost like water flowing. All right, now, see, I didn't get to that very last little tidbit. So I pulled over Mm -hmm. and got some gas and and left it running, and I popped the hood and looked at the little plastic reservoir tank. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. And I opened it up. And I could see the orange coolant at the bottom, mm-hmm. at the very bottom, but it wasn't you know, up enough to the hot or cold mm-hmm. line or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I probably should have bought some antifreeze, but I just went into the store and got some distilled, a gallon of distilled, yeah. about a quart, mm-hmm. to fill it back up. Okay. I checked it this morning when it was cold and it was full, and it has not made that. Yeah, well, there you go. That flowing sound at all. So that was, I was like, could that be? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that's the most common thing by far, but it'll generally be on the right side. But again, it may be echoing around under the dash. Right. It may be in the vents. It, the sound may right. be coming through the vents. Exactly. But uh, what I would caution you on, Greg, is I would go ahead and have that coolant replaced and put the right mix in there. Because when you add water, even distilled water, you're diluting the corrosion protection. And if the coolant is already a few years old, it's probably already weak. And then when you dilute it more, then you can start picking up corrosion. It's just not worth it for what it's going to cost to change the coolant. It's minimal compared to the damage you can do with a corrosive coolant in the system. If you're going to have somebody do it, go ahead and have them look around and maybe put a pressure check on it before they drain it. Make sure there's not a leak somewhere because that system shouldn't have been low. Yeah, it's it's probably a very slow leak. It may even be an intermittent leak. Right. One of the most common things on that car, Greg, would be like the water pump may start to leak, and it may leak sometimes and not other times. But what's yeah. going to happen is eventually it's going to blow out and it's going to leave you at the worst possible moment. You know, in the middle of August when it's 110 degrees outside, that's when it's going to go. And being, yeah, well, the, being the placement of that water pump, the, it could leak a little bit. And the, well, it's under the timing cover, so you're not going to see it. Well, that's what I'm saying, I mean, though, is if it leaks a little bit and the engine is so hot, it just absorbs yeah, it. it evaporates. The, evaporates the water right. out of it. Then it never makes it to the ground. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah, something you're yeah. going to see drip on the ground. 
Yeah, you guys did the cooling about 18 months ago. Yeah. Okay. When I got my general inspection well, uh, last fall. It's they been said done it's recently. I would okay. say it'd probably be strong enough where if you didn't add more than a quart of water, you should be still good. Yeah. But if but, it continues uh, to lose, I would definitely right. get that looked at. And that's my final question. I'm going to stop and get a gallon of pre-mix just in case I have to add anything Good, again. I, good idea, yes, sir. So do I – I know you're specific about certain cars with certain, so I just need to make sure that I buy some orange. Well, it's, it's no. red. That one's going to be red. red? Yes, and, right. yes, 2003, it will be red. They went in, I think, long five, life. they went to the pink. Okay. Yeah, it, it's going to be a concentrate. I would buy it from Toyota right. and just – you already got some distilled yeah. water. Go ahead and right. pour, pour like half that distilled water out. Pour right. half a gallon and shake it up good. That way you got a pre-mix. And you can keep that coolant, a concentrated coolant, you can keep for a number of years as long as you keep it in a climate-controlled environment. Right. So right. stick in a closet somewhere inside, and it'll last for years. But I should go to Toyota. I would, yes. Yeah. You, you can buy that junk at the parts store a little cheaper, but it's just not worth it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. All right. Thanks, Colin. Yeah. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the automotive, we would love to have you. We're going to take another quick little break, and we'll be right back with more in the automotive hour. Hi, it's Louis Altazan from Agco Automotive. It's our 40-year anniversary, and the phone's been ringing off the hook with congrats from far and wide. Good day, and congratulations from Buckingham Palace. Next time you're in London, Louis, you must stop by for tea. I'm restoring an old Aston Martin and have some questions about the timing adjustments. Hope to see you soon. Lewis, it's your nanny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I wanted to call and tell you how proud I am of you. Forty years is nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> ho, 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 Lewis. Fixing cars right the first time for over 40 years. You've been a very good boy. I think I have something special for you this year. Keep up the good work. See, calls from far and wide. I guess 40 years of high-quality work really means a lot to people and keeps me on the nice list. Now I can't wait for Christmas. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Loud noise off the river to right. Don't mind it cause the man with the whiskers has a lot behind it. But I can't keep punching with the victory crew. Hey, when welcome back. It's yours, the Auto Hour. I'm your host, Louis Alvin. With Mr. Oh, Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. Go ahead and give us calls. 291-6901. That's right. Right now is a great time to call, too. Seems like we got a yes, line holding. There you go. We got Terry online. Good morning, Terry. How you doing today? Doing great, sir. Good morning. Yeah, look, I just had a quick question, and I was just going to, uh, that was 2001 Volkswagen Beetle. Okay. And this is my problem. I'm having a problem with the battery going down and the vehicle not started. Okay. And you can check the battery, and you hope the alternator's doing okay, but what I'm able to do once a week, I have to recharge the vehicle. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then it works okay for yes. a week. And if I don't recharge, then... Sometimes the vehicle won't start, so I don't think it's the battery, and then I wonder about the alternator. No use in wondering about that, Terry. Those are both very, very simple tests to make. The battery could be at fault because a battery doesn't necessarily die in one way. A battery can lose what they call capacity. And mm-hmm. if it is charged every day, it may keep up, but if it's not, it may slowly degrade down and lose its ability. And they don't just always just die. Sometimes okay. they just slowly drag out, like people. Not everybody's keels over dead. Some of them kind of waste away slowly. Same thing with a battery. 
beyond that, if the alternator is charging but not charging enough, then it's going to slowly discharge the battery over time. Again, both of these can easily be tested. Now, let's just say we go in, we test, and the alternator's good and the battery's good. Then the most likely thing is you've got what they call a parasitic draw. Now, what a parasitic draw is, is that when you turn your key off in your car, something is staying on that shouldn't be. Now, that could be something as simple as the light in the glove box. It could be one of the lights on the Rear, mirror, mirror on the sun visor. Sun visor. Right. It could be okay. as insidious as one of the computers is not going to sleep, which is absolutely no way to see that. It could be a relay that's sticking on, keeping a circuit alive. So it can be simple or it can be very, very complex to find. Now, again, the way you find that is... The first thing you want is what we call an electrical system profile. That's where they will go in first off. They'll load test the battery, see if it's good. Then they'll test the alternator, see if it's good. Next thing they will do is set up to test for a parasitic draw. They do that by removing one of the terminals from the battery and hooking a milliamp meter between the terminal and the battery. Now, if electricity is flowing, you'll see it. Okay? Okay. It's not something you can see with your eye, but you can see it flowing through this meter. Now, right. If we have electricity flowing, and you got to let the car sit for a while because everything has to go to sleep, some of those modules don't go to sleep for maybe up to an hour. Let's say after an hour, we still got 0.01 amps of current flowing. Well, then what you have to do is go to the fuse box, start removing the fuses one at a time. When you hit the circuit that has a problem, the draw will go away. So at least you know the circuit. Now you have to go to a wiring diagram, see what things are on that circuit, because it may be 30 things on that circuit. Right. Then you have to go in and test each one. So it's usually a little above the head of most do-it-yourselfers, unless you're just real, real handy. But again, right. a shop can normally check this for you in probably an hour or less. So, I mean, even if they're $100 an hour, you're going to spend less than 100 bucks. Now, the problem is with what you're doing now, where you're charging the battery and discharging the battery and charging. All right, number one, you're deep cycling the battery. So even if it's a good battery, you're going to kill it because it's not okay. designed for that. That will kill the battery. But way more important, it's going to kill your alternator because the alternator is kicking in wide open trying to charge this substandard battery, and it's going to end up frying your alternator. So you're going to end up with a five or $600 repair bill because let's say you've got something like a light staying on the car that you don't see. Well, real minor repair, but you end up killing the alternator because it keeps deep cycling. It can right. also cause other electrical problems because that alternator is charging wide open. It can actually cause other electrical problems in the car. So I would not let that continue. That's something you need to get checked, get straight away. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much. Appreciate the help on that. All right, Mr. Terry, thank you. Have a good thank weekend, man. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. We'd love to hear from you. And we got Chris from Athens, Georgia. Good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are y'all doing? Doing, doing wonderful, great. sir. All right. I heard y'all talk about using silicone brake fluid in classic cars. Uh-huh. Yes, sir. And, mm-hmm. and I've got a 64 Triumph TR4, okay. and I rebuilt the entire brake system mm-hmm. from master cylinder, new hoses, mm-hmm. wheel cylinders, and all that, and put silicone brake fluid in it. Mm-hmm. But I cannot get that thing to bleed out for anything. I've tried every method I could think of. Now, and you got to be a little bit careful, Chris, on some of those old English cars. Those took what they call girling fluid, which is not an alcohol-based fluid at all. You'd have to check with the guy you bought the parts from and make sure they can tolerate silicone brake fluid, because they may not. That system was sort of unique in the world of brakes, and it was peculiar only to a handful of English cars in that time frame, but girling is more like a petroleum-based fluid. It's not an alcohol-based fluid. So, technically, you could have a big problem with that. Now, if you talk to the guy who sold you the parts, and he says, no, these parts are okay, silicone or whatever, then great. Most of the time, what we see when a system can't be bled, 
check all of your. Does it have four wheel discs or disc drums? Disc yeah, it's four? got a disc drums. Okay, look at your calipers on the front. I'm sure you change right. the calipers. Right. Make sure you didn't swap them side to side because if the bleeder screw is at the bottom of the caliper, and that is very, very easy to do. If you put the left on the right and the right on the left, the bleeder screws will point down, and you'll push fluid out all day, but the air is going to stay at the top of the caliper. Okay. That is all the right, most I'll... common reason for that. Check all of your bleeder screws. Make sure all the same thing on the wheel cylinders. If you put the right on the left, left on the right, you end up with your bleeder screw pointing down. And if it's not something you do every day, it looks perfectly normal. I could not tell you how many cars have been towed into our shop, and you know they bled four gallons of fluid through it, and you look, and the calipers are on upside down, and the bleeder screws are down. So the air will always flow to the top. You know, the, the bleeder screw has to be the highest point in the system. So check that. That is by far the most common thing. Beyond that, like I said, make sure that the rubber that you bought will tolerate the, the silicone fluid. And if it will, then check all those and make sure those are correct. Now, if it still won't bleed out, you give me a call back, and I'll give you a list of stuff to check. But those are by far the most common things. All righty. Well, I'll check up on that and let you know what happens. All right, Miss Chris. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay, take care. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive, I would absolutely love to have you. That's kind of embarrassing when you do that. I know we had a fellow that he's used to be a mechanic. Uh-huh. He used to be a line mechanic at one time, and he was retired years ago and he towed a vehicle into us i think it was a dodge truck and he said man for the life of me i just couldn't, couldn't get these things get a brake pedal <laughs> right I, I told us well i said there's two things you can do number one you can flip the truck over and bleed the brake standing on its roof and bleed the brake yeah or you put the calipers back on the right side <laughs> <laughs> it happens i might, tell might you. be easier yeah. that's it <laughs> <Everybody's face hurry>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of them you can't do it they just physically won't go but right. some of them will a lot of them will and what happens the right and left are pretty much the same except the bleeder screw faces in the opposite direction correct and if that screw is pointing down all the air the air goes to the, to the top. top and you're pushing all the fluid out the bottom right. the fluid's not going to capture the air and bring it out the bottom that's it's correct. just going to sit up at the top because that's what air does on fluid yeah you know it sits at the top well yeah the fluid is much heavier than the air is so the air all flows to the top of the caliper and the fluid just goes out the bottom and you know a, a girling system as you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. is actually designed differently the bleeder screw is actually on the bottom it may be on a girling system that fluid was so heavy it, it would catch the air catch the air capture right, it and take and it out bring it on out i know we worked on old jaguar right a while back, that's when it come to mind we converted it over to the later fluid but we had to flip all the had to uh, had to remake over. the lines Maybe and remake all the move lines. the bleeder screws and everything to get it to work with regular brake yeah, fluid. Yeah, because regular brake fluid is thinner, so it's not going to capture that air and right. drag it it's out. It's just going to go right past it. It just goes right past it. So yeah, a lot of people probably don't even know what girling brake fluid. <laughs> it, it's kind of like a positive ground system. That's you know, it. One of those you things see. you just don't see very often. Boy, when you do, it'll throw you. From oh, a, it will. A big bad loop. It will. Hey, go back to our phone lines, a guy. Good morning, guy. Yeah, I have a question. I've got a little 98 Toyota Peso. Okay. Yesterday, I was in battery, and on the way back, my little engine light came on, so okay. I pulled over and checked the engine all, checked the, all the fuel levels, yeah, everything. That light fine. doesn't check any of those things, Guy. Those all have their own lights. What the check engine light is monitoring is the engine management system, which is the computer and all the sensors. Because it doesn't check the oil, it doesn't check the water, it doesn't check any of those, it doesn't check the alternator or the battery. All those okay. have their own lights. It checks everything related to emissions. Yeah, what year model is it, guy? 
it's a 98 Toyota, but I only have 65,000 miles. Yeah, on. but you could have six miles. makes absolutely right. no difference. On a 98, it's checking about 2,000 different things. And okay. any one of those things that gets out of parameter is going to make that light come on. Now, the way that has to be repaired is you have to take it to someone who has the right equipment. They go in, and they're going to retrieve. There's going to be a code stored in memory. In other words, when the light came on, it stored a fault code. Now, what that fault code will tell them is the area of the circuit where the problem exists. It doesn't tell you what's wrong. It only tells you the area where the problem exists. For instance, it may set a code, say, P0107, which is an oxygen sensor out-of-range code. Well, what a lot of people want to do is go change the oxygen sensor. Well, that's totally wrong. doesn't mean the sensor's bad. It's saying that circuit has an issue. For instance, let's say we've got a vacuum leak. Well, now the engine is too lean, so the oxygen sensor is out-of-range because it's always lean. Or let's say we got a stuck fuel injector. Well, again, we're going to set an oxygen sensor code because it's too rich, because the injector's dribbling into the cylinder, so there's too much oxygen left in the exhaust. Let's say the wire got chewed in half. Or let's say, oh, on and on, it's got a spark plug misfiring. So you cannot take a code literally. That's why it takes a professional. There are parts stores who will check the code and try to sell you a bunch of parts. You will run out of money before they run out of gases. And you may be causing more problems you than you have right now. You may be creating more problems. If you're buying parts from a parts store for a Toyota, you'll probably run more chance of creating a problem. It's best to buy your parts from Toyota. But any decent shop can go in, retrieve the code, tell you what it is. Some of the common things on that year model car might be a oxygen sensor. That is one thing. They do go bad in time. Could be like an airflow meter that's dirty. It starts to read out of range. Needs to be cleaned. Could be an EVAP code. EVAP code. Gas cap could be loose. Right. Gas cap could be bad. Could be a solenoid or a switch that's gone bad. It's sort of like an early warning system. It's sort of like a fire alarm in a 40-story building. When the alarm goes off, it says it's a problem. It just doesn't tell you where it's at or what it's going to take to put the fire out. So that's what it's trying to tell you. There's an issue here. So you need to get it checked because there is absolutely nothing it's going to tell you that's going to get better or go away. It's not going to hit. You know, the little car has been garage kept. Belong to, uh, the guy has absolutely like nothing to do with the way you kept it. It has nothing to do with how you drove it. It has nothing to do with the maintenance it's received. It has nothing to do with any of that. It's an electrical system, and things are going to go wrong in time. It's just, just part of owning a car. Right. I mean, it's not – in fact, if – it's that old, and you've never had a check engine light before. You've led a blessed yeah, say, life. <laughs> consider yourself lucky. Yeah, absolutely, because they're literally checking 2,000 things. So the odds of one of these 2,000 things getting out of parameter in that many years. Yeah, you only got one light. Yeah, you only got one light. So anything right. that goes wrong, that same light's coming on. I know a lot of times we'll go in, we'll find a problem, we'll fix it. Well, three months later, the light comes. So it's doing the same thing. Well, no, no, no. It's a different code this time. It's doing something different. There's only one light. So right. it even checks the transmission. You could have something like the transmission's low on fluid and it's starting to slip a little bit and it's trying to warn you, hey, you're going to burn up the transmission if you don't get this checked. So yeah. you fix a minor leak on transmission, fill up with fluid, and you're home free. You let it go, you burn up the transmission. Right. Same, same thing with like an oxygen sensor. If you don't fix it, you're going to burn up the catalytic converter. So you jump from a $200 problem to a $2,000 problem. So, so what would some would be a fair charge to have somebody put a... Well, the way we bill for that guy, we charge by the hour. In other words, it's $95 per hour. But we charge okay. in one-tenth of an hour increments. Because one of them I'm going to check and I'm going to find it in 15 minutes. So I'm going to bill right. you for 15 minutes. The next one may take as much as an hour. So I'm going to bill you for that. I bill you for the time that I spend finding the problem. Now, not everybody bills the same way, but... I find that's the fairest way because I'm not trying to profiteer. I'm just covering the man's time of checking it. And 
I can check almost anything in an hour or less. It's, it's a very, very rare problem. It takes me more than an hour. But some things do, but most don't. And if we get to an hour and we still hadn't got it, I would stop and call and say, look, I got an hour into it. I know this, 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 this. We've checked this, 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 this. We're probably going to spend another 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way we do it. Now, other shops do things differently, but okay. most shops. And where are you all located? Well, go to my website. It's agcoauto.com. And it's got every piece of information you need in there about us and how we build and where we're at and the phone number and how we do appointments and everything. Gotcha. All right. Thank you so much. All right, guys. All thanks right. for calling, man. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number if you want to be part of the automotive hour. That was a very timely call, so we're talking about checking your lights this morning. Exactly. And another thing on the Toyota that confuses a lot, a lot of folks is that on the more modern Toyotas, when the check engine light comes on, very often the traction control light also comes on. Correct. And the reason it does that is because when there's an active code in the PCM, then the traction module can't communicate. So it throws both lights on at one time. Right. Hey, we're going to take another quick little break and be right back with more in the Automotive Hour. Hi, folks. Louis Aldazan here from Agco Automotive. This year we celebrate 40 years in business, and man, I can't believe all the calls we received from national dignitaries. Louis, it's the governor. I'm taking time out from my new movie to congratulate you on 40 years. I got to run, but I'll be back. Lewis, hey, I'm playing golf with an old friend, and we wanted to call and say that 40 years is quite a run. Lewis, that is absolutely splendorific. <laughs> hey, Lewis, James here, 40 years, wow. You know, there's nothing more I like than a good homegrown Louisiana success story, except, well, maybe politicking and my tigers. You're up now, you hear? Well, I'm flattered. I guess even in the world of politics, honesty and integrity are still something to value. Okay, well, maybe outside the world of politics. Agco. After 40 years, it's still the place to go. Welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, president of Agco Automotive. Got our lead tech, Mr. Brian Terry, right here in the co-pilot seat. Hey, Twin Tools, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you might have. We've still got plenty of time. Why don't you go and give us a call? It's 291-6901. And should you happen to miss your opportunity this morning, or maybe think of something after we go off the air, maybe even next week at midnight, there you, go. you can always get your questions answered any time of the day or night. Just click onto the website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. Contact bar on each and every page. Just click the button, fill out the form, and send it in. Couldn't be much easier than that. That's absolutely right. We're talking about check engine lights today, but of course we'll talk about any topic you might have, any questions you got about your car, whether sure. the radiator's leaking or brakes are squeaking or won't start, won't stop, whatever you got, you give us a call. We're going to chat you up about it. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can use a little vernacular there. We were just talking about like the newer Toyotas, and it's uh-huh. not limited Toyotas, several vehicles nowadays, that when the check engine light comes on, another light may actually come on with it. Right. And the reason being... The average vehicle built today has 70 computers, seven zero computer modules on uh-huh. it. And a lot of these, well, all of these are talking to each other on up to five or six different networks on the car. And when some of them get a code in them, then other modules are going to get confused because it can't communicate like it needs to. So it may actually produce a code in another module 
that hey i can't communicate here so uh-huh. that's why more than one light may come on at a certain time right sometimes the light comes on sometimes it just sets a code and stores it in memory for instance if you've got a check engine light and a trash control light you would go after the check engine light first correct and see if the other light go, may just go away so you don't have to end up spending money to diagnose both problems well a lot of times when you go in and retrieve the check engine light code you right. retrieve all the codes in That's the system correct. and you can look at that code and it says unable to communicate or loss of communication right. you know right there hey it can't talk to this module let's right. get this module fixed first then we'll clear the code and see well, if that one and theoretically comes back it could be a break in the can network it could be a bad module two sure. bad modules it could but it's rare but it could or that it's going to be related so we're going to go after the primary source first now one other thing like on general motors cars in particular i know is that when there's a check engine light the cruise control will quit working uh-huh. because the cruise module can't communicate right so we'll get people coming they'll say well i got a check engine light and my cruise control quit working. So we're going to fix check engine light first, and a lot of times the cruise will start to work. And a lot of times a good service rider will pull that information from the customer and say, look, did the cruise quit working when the check engine right. light came on? At the same time. And if you get the same, if you get the answer yes, mm-hmm. you can pretty much relate it back to the check engine light right. coming on. And another thing, sometimes the remote start, if you have a remote start, uh-huh, that your, won't operate. your remote start is not going to operate if the check engine light is on. Uh-huh. Just a couple little tidbits there. we got Al online. Good morning, Al. Good morning. Got an O one GMC Sierra. Okay. You know, normal operation, you turn a start in, you, the ABS light comes on for a few seconds and right. goes off. Called a bulk your brake check. light comes on and stays on until you release your parking brake. Correct. Uh-huh. Okay, here lately, I've noticed a time or two, both lights stay on okay. until you turn the ignition off and back on, then they operate normally. Does this indicate a possible problem coming? or well, a- It's not a brake problem. That's going to be an ABS problem. And what happens, Al, is that when the light has called a bulb check, but actually what it's doing is checking for conductivity of, among all the components. And there's, it has a series of tests that it does at key cycle. It has another series of tests that's going to do it 5 miles an hour, and a third series of tests it does at 30 miles an hour. So what it's doing is it's going out, it's looking at all these components to see if they're all connected, and it's not seeing one of them, so it's throwing that light on. The ABS light comes on, the red light comes on with it. Both of those lights will come on together just to get your attention. Now, when you cycle ignition, it puts it in history, and then it checks again. Well, maybe the next time around, it goes ahead and makes up. One common thing that might cause that would be like the harnesses on the front wheel bearings. We've had a fair amount of trouble with those. They have an updated harness, I think, for that. And sometimes those harnesses will get either loose or corroded or get a little water in them or whatever, and they're just not making good enough contact every time. So if it fails the test, it's going to kick the light on. Sooner or later, it's going to come on. It's going to stay on, and you can have a problem. So I would at least bring it in and let's check and see if there's a code stored. If there's a code stored, I'd act on the code. A lot of times you get out there and shake the wires, and you'll shake it, and you can make the code reproduce. So if you can reproduce the code and there's one stored, then I would go after it. Now, if there's no code stored, it's possible that you might have a battery that is starting to go bad, and what's happening when you're cranking up, it's actually dropping below a threshold. And for whatever reason, the ABS computer is more sensitive than some of the others. It could throw a light on for that, and it will generally not set a code. So I would probably load test the battery also. It may be, sometimes people think that, well, it's cranking fine. But, you know, 8 volts will crank that car. But it takes 12 and a half to run those computers. Mm-hmm. And ABS computer just seems a little more sensitive than others to, as far as to lower voltage. So mm-hmm. if your battery is more than three years old, you might want to just consider changing the battery in it. It's going to be on its last legs anyway. And if not, if it's newer than that, I'd probably bring in just test it. I mean, you could check, see if it's code stored, do an electrical profile, see if the electrical system's good. If everything checks good, then I'd probably wait till it gets a little more consistent. It would pick up on something, then we can head off the problem before it gets any worse. 
Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to part of the automotive, I would love to have you. There's check engine lights and the dash lights in general. Yeah, basically almost every light. Right. They're going to come on and run the test, and if they go out, they don't run the test again in a certain parameter or something, the light's not going to come back on. That's right. So they all kind of operate the same. So just because the light came on and went off doesn't mean you don't have a problem. Right. What happens, they do what... They refer to it as a bulb check, and it's just to let you know the bulb is working, uh-huh. the bulb hadn't burned out. But it's also more things going on. Some of the more rudimentary tests are done at key cycle, you know, right. at first ignition cycle. That's when it's looking for electrical conductivity. And there's just going out. Let's say you've got a sensor unplugged. Most time, it will catch that on crank. When you turn the key, turn on, the key on, it's going to run that check. It's going to say, okay, I don't see X number of ohms. I don't see X number of volts on this line. Whatever the... Wham, it's going to check the light on. Now, as it starts to drive, it's got a fuzzy logic, and it starts looking for different things. Like on the oxygen sensor, it's looking for it to cross the midpoint. It's 256 counts, so it wants to cross 128 counts on a fairly regular basis. Uh-huh. If it's on one side of the 128 or the other side of the 128, it knows the problem. It's going to flag an oxygen sensor performance code. If the sensor does not get hot enough, or it thinks it does not get hot enough in a certain parameter of time, it's going to set a heater code. Sure, But those take time. Other things have to see a certain speed. So there's all sorts of parameters as to when and why a light will come on. Right, and all this is going on without your knowledge. Yeah. I mean, you you have no idea any of this is ever going all on. All going on in the background, kind of like your computer at home. It's running all kinds of things in the background that you don't know what's going on. Exactly. We're going to our phone lines with Kelly. Good morning, Kelly. I appreciate your show. Well, thank you. And I even listen to it simply because you're so knowledgeable. Oh, thank you. But today I got a problem. I have a 1997 Lexus, and the air quit working. Okay. okay. Did it stop all at once, Kelly? You know, it was working good, and it just stopped all at once? Yeah. Okay. The most common thing on that, and... It's actually kind of good when it stops all at once. When it just doesn't cool as good and it gets worse and worse and worse, that's usually pretty, Well, yeah, it kind of slowly goes out. Usually you got a leak somewhere in the system, and it just leaked all the refrigerant out, and that's a much bigger problem. If it stops all of a sudden, a lot of times it's something like the relay on the clutch or something like that, but pretty simple test. What you do is you bring it in. First off, they would check the system. If it's fully charged, then they'll check for electrical signal and command to the clutch of the compressor. If you don't have that, you got an electrical problem. If you got a low charge on the system, they would evacuate it, recharge it to put the right amount in, and then do a leak test. They can put some dye in it, and then go over with electronic leak tech, find the leak, and then once you fix the leak, it's going to fix the problem. So just a matter of checking it to see what caused it. Well, can you do that? Absolutely. I can do anything on that. Well, you say you're on Corsi Boulevard. Corsi Boulevard, yes, ma'am. What are you close to? Well, I tell you what, I can't go into all that on the air because we're just about out of time. But if you go to my website, it's agcoauto.com. It's got full instructions. Or if not, call Elaine Monday morning at 291-6900. That's 291-6900. And she'll tell you everything you need to know. All right, Miss Kelly, we sure appreciate you calling, and we're getting close time. We've got to start wrapping it up here. So we still got a few minutes. Eh? Okay, we'll tell you, maybe, maybe squeeze one more call. There you go. Yeah, we'll start, start winding it on. All up, right. You know? We were talking about check engine lights today, but they 
are still one of the most asked about and confusing things on cars. Exactly. I want to tell everybody how much we appreciate them listening this morning and every Saturday morning on the Automotive Hour. I'd like to thank all our podcasters for listening this week and every week. And tell your friends and go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service and give us a written rating if it's available. That's right. Give us a written review and move us up in the rating so more people can hear us. That way we can keep on doing the show. Really appreciate it. Preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a great weekend.